uh, back in the sort of Halloween type time uh, of 2016, so we're talking October, November um, and late September, I got cast in an immersive theatre production uh, that was running, it was a limited run just for Halloween to spook people out. And I'll have to go into a bit of a background of the show just so that this all makes sense. Um, it was done outside in a sports ground with a sort of a wood, a spooky stone circle and some open plains. Um, now this was land that had been paid for and hired by the company but could technically be accessed by the public as well. And the show was running Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights. Um, and people would buy a ticket, come along, and be sort of immersed in this spooky world. It was very Lovecraftian, I think you said at the time, Kian. Sounds um, like something I would say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sort of Victorian steampunk kind of a vibe. Um, and essentially, uh, it was a cross between a game and a show. Uh, so the audience members would have an app on their phone, they had to try and solve clues, get points and so on. And then where the monsters come in is we would be hiding in the woods waiting for them and we had tech that would drain their points and so on and so on, but we'd also give them jump scares, chase them and so on. Um, so there were three monsters. There was uh, the giant sort of octopus man, there was a living tree, and then there was me, um, I was the harpy, so I was sort of a cross between, uh, ooh, how would you describe it, a plague doctor, I had a plague doctor <laughs> mask, I had face paint like something out of the crow, uh, and then I had a sort of a hooded cowl um, wings and razor sharp talons. So quite scary if you run into that in the woods at night. Um, and we would be sort of planted out in the field, we had our little zones, but we could also free roam. So there was this one particular night, um, the audience went out, everything went fine, the show went fine. At the end, after the sort of big showdown, when we were all chatting, loads of uh, different people said to our stage manager, oh, the clown was really scary. <laughs> At which point, our stage manager sort of just styled it out, didn't really say anything, but once they'd gone, we all had this conversation and it turned out that there was an extra monster out in the woods who was not on the payroll um, and had been sitting in the stone circle, scaring the absolute life out of our audience. And they all just assumed that the clown was another actor who was supposed to be there. And my only theory is because it was during the crown, the crown, the clown craze yeah, that, that someone knew the show was going on and decided to try and infiltrate it and scare people. That's a fantastic story. <laughs> Thanks very much for contributing. That adds a little bit on to the scary clown 2016 story that we made last year. If you're interested in finding out more, please take a look at our back catalogue and listen to that. Faye, where can people find out more about you and your work? Okay, so uh, as Kian already mentioned, I co-present the Ghost Trail series, which is on YouTube. If you just type in the Ghost Trail, it'll come up. Um, I'm on Instagram at also at Faye Sewell, um, which you can pretty much find everything I'm doing on there. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. 
prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast that usually investigates tales of the unexplained in order to find out why people believe weird things. This, however, is a bonus episode going back to the roots of the podcast before it was the way it is now. Now, I'm your usual host, Keen. With me today is Mr. Ali Keen of Punk Band The Scuts. Hello. And uh, when we started this off, one of the ideas that we had before it morphed into its current form was that the show might be about one of our other hobbies, which is watching bad movies. I, I do intend to drop in an occasional bad movie episode uh, once in a while as sort of like a bonus episode, just so you can see what kind of other things we get up to and what kind of other things we sometimes like to talk about. Now, Ali, yourself and myself have long drawn a distinction between different kinds of bad movies, uh, ones which we sort of approve of and enjoy, yeah. and ones which we don't. So maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, um, well, you know yourself, like, you know, the bad movies that tend to kind of go down um, in our memories are the ones that were made by people who really believed in the movie, you know? It was made to try and be a good movie, and it failed spectacularly at every level possible. Not so, like a bad movie was made to be bad for, yes. like, deliberately. So I think the classic examples for people who aren't in the know here, you know, just to think of the, the biggest, most well-known ones, think about the difference between a film like The Room, yeah. famously made by crazy man Tommy Wiseau, and, and famously made with absolute sincerity, where yeah. he truly believes in what he's doing, and it's terrible as a result. And compare that with Sharknado, for example, mm -hmm. which is a movie which some people, I guess, enjoy, but we don't really, because no. it's clearly, it's got its tongue in its cheek, and it's trying to be silly, and it's trying to be funny, and it's trying to be bad. It's trying to capitalise on the bad movie culture. Yes. You know, by trying to get in there. So when you talk to some people who like bad movies, um, they say, oh, I love bad movies. Like, you know, you ever see Sharknado or Three-Headed Shark Attack? And then we think, like, yeah. yeah, you don't really know anything about bad movies. You, you know? really yeah. don't. And yes, I'll have a chuckle at the shitty titles and the terrible yeah, yeah. posters and the fact that people like Rob Van Dam show up in, in Three-Headed Shark Attack. But It's no fatal deviation, No, which we've talked about before. Yes, so the big, the big difference is those movies are just boring, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty boring. Um, however, we the company that makes a lot of them, The Asylum, is what we're going to talk about on this short episode. I actually find their, their behind-the-scenes mechanics quite interesting, even if their films aren't. You reckon they're a bit shadowy or something? Um, no, it's a bit like... Do you remember Do you remember Uwe Boll? Yeah. He's another bad movie maker. Now, he was, he was a big deal in the 2010s, wasn't he? People mm. used to talk about him a lot, sort of 10 or 15 years ago in um, earlier internet culture. He was a big punching bag for people who wrote snarky blogs about films and stuff. Yeah, he made a lot of uh, video game movies. He did. We but sat he... through Alone in the Dark. Remember that one? Oh, my oh, God. Tara, Tara Reid. Oh, I know. We'll put glasses on her and people will think she's <laughs> smart. <laughs> that was two hours long. I cannot believe we finished that oh, movie. That, yeah. It, again, just boring. I know. I know. And we were sober throughout. Not, not funny at all. Bullshit. The reason I, I mentioned Uwe Ball in connection with the Asylum is that they operate in some similar ways. I'm not going to say that they're shady. They're just... They're very savvy when it comes to economics. So Uwe Ball managed to get a lot of his films made extremely cheaply because he got them part funded by the German government. So he, there were grants going if you filmed um, in certain places or if you filmed at certain times of year or um, if you got certain companies to, to work with you. And he managed to pull all these tricks. And he, he did some stuff that I do admire. So I don't know if you like um, Robert Rodriguez as a director mm -hmm. but he's very famous for having a very economical filmmaking style yeah he does it around his house doesn't yeah, he yeah he, he does all his own studios, editing yeah. all his own music he makes lunch for the yeah, actors he doesn't that. he doesn't splurge on things that he doesn't need to um, and he also 
he utilizes actors very carefully. So if he has a big name actor in one of his films and he might only have him for two or three days, he will only film all that actor's bits in those days. So he's not paying anyone to be around waiting. It's not like in, you know, big budget films where they waste millions of dollars because, you know, Natalie Portman is on set, but, you know, they're not using her that day. So Uwe Ball does a bit of that as well, and The Asylum do the same thing as well. They're extremely economic with their filmmaking. So I, I find their behind-the-scenes stuff probably more interesting than their actual filmmaking. However, just so you know a little bit about who they are and what they do, they're the company that are infamous for making what became known as Mockbusters. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ali, what would be some Mockbusters that people might have heard of? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, Vampires vs. Zombies. Uh, they did a War of the Worlds themselves. That's actually where the whole story started because um, one of the people involved in the company happened to read the book around 2004 or five, and he was really interested in the book and he wanted to make a cheap, low-budget version of War of the Worlds. So this is when they were just kind of an ordinary, low-budget film company. You're looking for, like, the big stuff. Well, I'll just, I'll just finish this story in, in that it explains how they came to be what they are now because... Almost by chance, they found out that Steven Spielberg, in the same year, was making a big-budget War of the Worlds. Mm. And they kind of just went, well, you know, let's, let's go make it anyway. And, um, you know, maybe we'll capitalize on the hype of the bigger film. And really, it worked for them, and that's what they've been doing ever since. They did Paranormal Entity. <laughs> <laughs> Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, that's their big one. Well, they have different, they have different strata. There are different strata of, of Asylum movies. There are mockbusters, which are clearly imitating something else but then they have their own tropes which are like mega something versus giant something else you know or something something shark something uh transmorphers transmorphers yeah <laughs> which i watched and it's incredibly boring uh, oh we watched sherlock holmes remember that oh, yeah jesus do you know what do you remember how sherlock holmes has absolutely nothing to do with the so it came out the same year as the big budget robert downey jr sherlock holmes yeah. but it really has nothing to do with it that's because the Asylum people, they don't have access to the scripts for the big films that are coming out. Uh, no. They just, all they know is the name, and they just go on that. And generally, aside from the poster and the name, the films they make have nothing to do with the ones they're ripping off. So, they're not even spoofs. They're just bad, low-budget films. They're bad, they're bad. The Sherlock Holmes one was, was dreadful. Do you remember the fact that, like, he ends up fighting dinosaurs and giant robot dragons? And yeah, yeah. So... Some Cybermen or something. Yeah, I remember watching this and thinking, why... What the hell is going on? <laughs> like, if, if, your, if your marketing idea is to market a similar type of movie to people who are interested in the big movie, how come they make them like nothing to do with the original? I think the reason is they have all these special effects that they've already p paid to develop, so they just use them over and over again. So they might have had those dinosaurs from... You know, when they made Triassic Park or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh, well, you know, we paid for that. Let's stick that into our Sherlock Holmes movie. Right, Doesn't so anything that wasn't used in the production maybe as well. Yeah, even right. things that were used, they oh. would just use them again. <laughs> so do you remember, he, there's a giant robot T-Rex or something in it. Yeah. Uh, and raptors some... and dragons and stuff. And it you know, probably came from other films they made. Oh, we learned Sherlock Holmes' uh, middle name <laughs> at the very end of the movie. Do you remember what it was? Robert. Yeah, they, they play that one off as if it's some sort of a shock moment. Yeah, and it's the last sentence in the movie. And there's no... Uh, anyway. So, uh, so let's go, going back to 2005, uh, that year, Peter Jackson's King Kong came out. Big, big film. So, The Asylum released King of the, King of the Lost World, yeah, which yeah. is basically The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle, which is nice and out of copyright. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so in 2006 they released a film called Snakes on a Train oh yeah yeah you can I'll leave it to you to, to figure out what that one was imitating The Da Vinci Treasure the same uh, year <laughs> uh, 
666 The Child. Uh, was there an Omen remake that year, perhaps? 2006? There's know. been so many remakes of those 70s, 80s horror movies I can't keep up. <laughs> Halloween Night. <laughs> oh, dear. That was the Rob Zombie remake around the same time. Oh, yeah, there was, yeah, there was the Rob Zombie Halloween. Um, in 2006, uh, Pirates of Treasure Island. Uh, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't think of another uh, <laughs> big budget Pirates movie that might have come out that year. <laughs> Hillside Cannibals. Oh. Kills have eyes. <laughs> uh, Transmorphers, Alien vs. Hunter. Yeah. Which probably couldn't possibly be any worse than AVP. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> Atlantic Rim. <laughs> Pacific Rim. A million percent. Atlantic Rim. <laughs> uh, 2007, they released 30,000 Leagues Under the oh, Sea. Oh, fuck right off. I am Omega. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 100 million BC, 2012 Doomsday. Oh, Alan Quatermain and the Temple of Skulls. Hmm, yeah. wonder what that's about. Avengers Grimm. <laughs> <laughs> the 18-year-old virgin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In uh, 2009. Oh, they made their own Princess of Mars movie the same year that the, the Disney John Carter John came Carter out. Came yeah. Out, yeah. The Terminators. Oh, The Haunting of Winchester House. You remember the Winchester movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Independence Day came out. <laughs> Is there an apostrophe in there that wasn't in the other? Oh, yeah. There's an apostrophe the after this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Titanic 2. Uh, the Seven Adventures of Sinbad. I think there was an animated Sinbad movie that came out in 2010. Oh, The Fast and the Fierce. <laughs> <It's> 2017. <laughs> oh, uh, to get off the Mockbusters train for a second, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. Oh, fuck's sake. Like... Oh, Annalise, The Exorcist Tapes. That's, um... Have you seen The the Exorcism of Emily Rose? I think I've That's based on a real case from Germany in the 1970s, and the woman, Emily Rose is a pseudonym, the woman's real name was Annalise, so they just went to the original and uh, told, retold that story, I guess. Although probably with, with more CGI dragons than in the original. 200 miles per hour? Any guesses what that could be a reference to? No. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be Speed Racer. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. And I'm, I'm guessing just by the look of the poster. It's interesting how many of these films that they were trying to cash in on that actually turned out to be huge flops. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you were looking back now, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I wish I'd cashed in on that sweet Speed Racer hype. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that movie went nowhere. I didn't even see it. Uh, Tomb Invader. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Amityville Haunting. Oh, and then, of course, The Shark Attack. Two-headed shark attack, three-headed shark attack. Yeah, yeah. Does it go up to five? Six. Six. Abraham Lincoln versus zombies. Of course, when Eight. Abraham Lincoln yeah, vampire vampires. hunter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, American warships. There was that was originally going to be called American battleships, but there was a legal, a legal case about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was the one with the uh, Rihanna or something. Yeah, right? that was well, not the asylum one. <laughs> no. Triassic World. Oh, I think I've seen that. Was it boring? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they, we're getting more fun reading these silly titles. Yeah, yeah. Then you actually, actually do watching the, the films, movies, and <laughs> that's why uh, the asylum just keep coming back into our lives. I guess because people mention them to us, and 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 they they seem to occupy this niche part of like bad movie watching culture. But it's it's not good, is it? It's not it's not so good. It's bad. It's just boring, which is the biggest cardinal sin that any bad movie really can do. So I've done some reading about them, uh, about how they operate. Weirdly, there's very little written about them after about 2013. Okay, there's a spate of interesting articles from that time where journalists hung out with them to see how they operate, and they're incredibly bare bones. They write scripts in 
they write scripts in a few days and then they film them in a few days and they change the script constantly as they go. They utilize the same people all the time. They utilize the same places all the time. Their film basically is decided by, you know, where can they film for free? That sort of thing. And we got a bit of an insight into how writing for the asylum actually works. And there's a cracked article, I think, that we read from about yeah. that time about a writer trying to break in. And what they mentioned was that basically you just keep hassling them with movie ideas until they like one of them. And then they'll start sending you specs. And their spec might be something like, uh, we want something, you know, zombies and sharks have a fight, but don't make it too silly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has to be serious. Like, you know, they, they take themselves quite seriously. Yeah? It's really weird. They tread this really weird line between doing the absolutely most absurd stuff in their films, but then sort of being really serious and pole-faced about what they do. And actually, I think that maybe might be their one of their downfalls because there's no sense of fun in the films, really. They're, they're dead serious for the most part. You know, crazy stuff happens, but they're not spoofs, they're not funny, and they're not jokey. And, but they're not good either, so they don't, they don't achieve anything, really, that you might want. So, inspired by this, Ali and I decided to send a few film ideas to the asylum just to see what they'd make of them. Uh, and you they know don't, they don't really take it. it's really hard to get submissions into them well you just have to keep plugging away i think so we'll we'll keep sending them things and we'll we'll keep you dear listener informed as to whether they ever get back to us but i'd like to, to uh, read you some of our film ideas that okay. we sent them and dear listener you can tell us whether or not you think we're hitting the spot okay compare this to what you've just heard from the list of real asylum movies and uh, listen to some of what we came up with okay so in the vein of the Mockbusters, that's what we came up with, right? So nothing original. Nope. You know. Or rather, whatever original we come up with, ripping off something out there. So, Mad Boys. <laughs> yeah, Mad Boys. There's uh, two of them. Mighty Graham. <laughs> Mark Rashid. I don't know why, but that's it. Two cops assigned to the same case, right? What? No. Yeah, man. Don't believe it. So Mikey... He's young, he's 30, he's a young hungry cop on the make in the LAPD, and then uh, Mark with a, with is 60. A, with a thin moustache and a thinner wallet. <laughs> <laughs> so he said he's a brown, uh, Mark, his partner is 60, he's a brown beaten jaded cop, wait for retirement in a few weeks. In this case, they are signed together, is his last one. Of course. <laughs> so when terrorists... Does he have a family? With, does he have a photograph of his family that he keeps in his wallet? Uh, yeah, I guess he can do it. I didn't, I didn't uh, think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, it actually makes too much sense. <laughs> when terrorists strike the LA Raptors basketball court <laughs> Mikey has to recruit Mark whose desk is cleaning out to help him take down the terrorist the terrorist is the hyena who they both, <laughs> <laughs> both have met before Mikey is the son of Mark who was shot by the hyena who injured him back when he shot off his nose right Mikey is too young to remember his dad because the dad was whisked away and Mikey and the mother was put into the protection program the hyena's plan is to infect plastic surgeon anesthetic with anthrax as he's jealous of all the good looking people. Oh, so this is uh, some top uh, Los Angeles commentary here, I think. Yeah, when we had the climax taking place in the kitchen of the Brown Derby on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> the boiling oil goes in the hyena's face and he dies. And the, the, the line they, they utter is, who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> I will so, All I'd say is that's a bit long for the kind of specs that usually the asylum send you or that you send them. But, yeah, right. Yeah, you know. I think I think we're in the I think we're in the ballpark. Uh, okay, so then the other one I, I, I wrote. I think you put down you put down one for. Um, oh, shall I read the next one? Okay, so here's what I came up with. James Brand dying takes too long. Uh, 
Anyway, there is a new band phone coming out, so yeah. you know it's time to capitalize. Well, that's that's it, that's how they operate. It's uh, uh, time to die or no time to die or something. That's what the name of the new band movie <laughs> oh. is called. That's why we call it dying. Dying takes you. Right. James Brand is a. Well, don't don't forget that just because an asylum movie has the same name and a similar poster to a big budget thing doesn't mean that the plot would be anything similar. So this like, isn't really a Bond spoof. It just has the same name. So James Brand is a washed-up former secret agent now working at an outdoor car wash in Barking. <laughs> when a new world terrorist named the Turban <laughs> blows up a multi-story car park in Milton Keynes, his former boss N contacts him to recruit him again. Brand says no, but when the Turban comes after his old friend Freddy Torch, oh, Phoenix Lighter, of course, <laughs> killing him in a car wash accident using sharks, it's personal. <laughs> Obviously, they had a few CGI sharks just, you know, sitting around on the computers, so it had to be used. Brand chases the turban across burning Dubai sands, has a dramatic shootout on a vast desert solar panel array. That actually sounds cool. And finally destroys his corrupt business empire over a climactic casino game of Hungry Hungry Hippos <laughs> while being assisted by the beautiful Italian agent Broad Philly. <laughs> PG-13. <laughs> nice. Okay, so what's that, next? Okay. That was pretty funny, dude. I forgot how, uh, how much fun it was writing these. <laughs> Our next one is uh, Next Men. <laughs> right, so our characters, yeah, Jane Brown, who is psychic. She's 17, she's an ordinary teenage girl, you know, grew up in Sherman Oaks and all that, right? Is that a real place in California? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on her 17th birthday, she discovers telepathy when she takes out a gang of school bullies using only the power of her mind. Still frightened by her latent ability, she receives a visit from the mysterious suited officials who represent the Dr. Magnanimous at the Magnanimous <laughs> Institute of Talents, or MIT. <laughs> so, she meets some students there. Sam Winters, otherwise called Laser, he's uh, also a student at uh, MIT, he can shoot a laser beam on command from his mouth. Uh, Jack Grogan, or Claus. He's immortal but not invincible. He's a teacher at uh, the Magnanimous Institute of Talents. He's razor-sharp lances from forearms, one under, one over his arm, yeah? So like a pincer, almost. Uh, Destiny Monroe, or Weathers. She can summon inclement weather, although with every summon, she ages a year. Inclement? It's like, you know, I can't make storms or anything, but, you know, I could bring you some... <laughs> bring you some drizzle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, she, J Jane Grey... Oh, no, Jane Brown, sorry. Uh, joins uh, Mick and trains in her skills. Dr. M assembles the team to attack his nemesis, the Scarlet Magnet, who threatens his vision for the world to live in Utopia. But Dr. M is actually the bad guy. Whoa. I know. I know. And the students must work with the Scarlet Magnet to save the world from Mick and rescue the other next men. <laughs> okay. What did I come up with next? So, <clears throat> the... I, I'm, I'm genuinely a fan of the Kong Skull Island movie. I think it's, yeah, yeah. it's dumb but fun. Uh... And there's up, an upcoming King Kong versus Godzilla type film, I believe, in the works. So there is, yeah. I came up with Bone Island Rumble. Rex Garrison is a struggling stuntman with a biplane, <laughs> trying to make it big in 1940s Hollywood. When a beautiful but mysterious Oriental girl, Wing Wong, visits him and leaves a centuries-old map in his Burbank garage, he's off on the trip of a lifetime, evading Nazis led by the evil Fritz Hangem, played by Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should say, played by Asylum Stalworth, <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary Busey. 
uh, island hopping across the Pacific, fighting cannibals, and encountering psychic newspaper man Ned Simmons. Oh, he sounds like a toast. On the last mist-shrouded island of Capetia, they find that Wing Wong and Hangem have preceded them, but the natives here worship two enormous monster gods. Wong has befriended the loyal Gorilla Rex, <laughs> who is smitten with her. But Hangem and his team have used Hitler's evil Nazi technology to control the mind of the giant, terrifying lizard, Raptopoid. These two behemoths fight to the death in the midst of an exploding volcano, while Rex struggles to rescue the beautiful Wong using his battered biplane as Nazi Stukas firebomb the noble giant gorilla. Well, that sounds too good for the asylum, actually. <laughs> all right, I mean, imagine how bad all that would look with asylum CGI. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. There you go, Bone Island Rumble. The last one is a horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin Carves. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think it's more original, really. Okay, well, let's... Well, I mean, the name isn't original. <laughs> it's been 20 years since Tom Pumpkin... <laughs> First terrorized the sleepy hamlet of Peepersville, California, which is not a real place, I think. But his original victim, Lucy Weenie. I think this is the end of our idea pile when we had too many beers and we were really scraping the barrel here. Lucy Weenie has been training and preparing for his return. Her house in a secluded seafront clifftop is tricked out with traps to catch any unwanted visitors. When a group of amateur teenage ghost hunters led by the feisty Lauren Strood show up at the mansion to make an episode of their YouTube show, Lucy isn't impressed, but when one of the teen heads appear in the smoothie maker, Lucy knows that Tom Pumpkin has finally come back and she needs all the help she can get. <laughs> uh, totally not the recent Halloween uh, movie. <laughs> so yeah, uh, dear listeners, uh, feel free to get in touch with us and let us know which of these films you would like to see. <laughs> right, and then we'll tell the asylum. We, I've already submitted Next Men to them. Right, well, yeah. this and, week, and... submit Bone Island Rumble. Oh, oh, imagine if they got back to us. Imagine if they got back to us. And we would have to write a script. So, from what I've read, what they what they do when they get back to you, they will just say, "Nice, keep trying," and you just have to keep pestering them with stuff until one day they send you a, a one line description, and then you've got to send them a spec script, and then they might take you up on it. That seems to be how it works. Now, like I said, everything I've found out about the asylum and have been able to read about them doesn't much go beyond to like twenty thirteen or so. I'm really interested to find out what they're up to now. It's been hard to find out. Um, because the film world has changed utterly since then. Mm. What they used, the way they used to operate was they would go to these big film expos and they sell the film before it's made to distributors. And the distributor would say something like, oh, we want something with zombies. You know, the, the, the Belgians might say that. And then the Dutch might say, well, we want a film with, with raptors. And then the asylum would say, cool, zombies versus raptors, done. And then they would pre-sell the rights yeah, yeah. when it, all they have is a title and a poster maybe. And then they'll go and make the film. And, so, I mean, they supposedly never lose money on a film ever because they never make it for more than they know they've already sold it for yeah yeah it's pretty smart really so they tend to at worst they break even is that what you're saying well no they i mean what about the marketing they spend about they spend about half a million per film Mm. on on average or a quarter of a million and they have already sold the rights so they know how much they're going to make on it right more or less and they have deals with people like the sci-fi channel who seem to keep providing them with uh you know, they just keep buying films off them because you don't see them anywhere else anymore. I mean, they, they, they had definitely a deal with Blockbuster mm-hmm. back in the day when Blockbuster was still a thing. I don't know how they're making money nowadays and I'd love to know because you, you don't see them on any of the big streaming services anymore. Um, you might see Sharknado, the really big one on uh, Netflix. Black Summer. 
Yeah, so that was an interesting thread, I think. Last some last year, they did a straight show, a straight series that wasn't goofy and wasn't a mockbuster. <clears throat> totally not The Walking Dead. But it was, it was you know, uh, their attempt to make a, a serious good show. Yeah. And um, like all their other things, I thought it was pretty boring. But, I mean, at least it was more competently made. But yeah, that didn't seem to go anywhere. It's not like I haven't heard anything else about it since. They had a season. They had two, two seasons, but it it didn't signal a change a change of direction, as far as I can tell. I've not I've not heard much from that 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 they've made a lot of other more serious uh, films or shows, or that they kind of changed what they were doing much. Let's look up their news and see what's up. They got a news thing in the you know, zombies too. Uh, <laughs> the sixth friend. They don't only do mockbusters. It's worth mentioning. They have like different, different strands to their bow, shall we say? They also do a lot. They obviously do the giant monster movies. They also do yeah. kind of like ninety style sex comedies, and they have a. They at least for a while had a subdivision that made religious movies, usually like religious themed apocalypse movies. I'm trying to get into their press releases, on the web, on their site. Nothing. Uh, yeah, they are still going, right? Yeah, they're still going. I just wonder how it is that they're making money. Like, there's so little money in streaming compared to, uh, you know, the the way the distribution system used to work for everybody except the folks at the very top that it's it's harder and harder for, you know, lower or mid-tier companies to make money. And the Asylum were making money. They were doing very well for a small company for a very long time. I just wonder how they're managing uh, to do it nowadays. Well, I'm just going to see if this is still going. Oh, no, it's not. They were they had they produced actually five seasons of a show called Z Nation. Yes, that's yeah, and that's yeah. where Black Summer came from, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I think we'll wrap it up with that and more information on this to come. If we do hear back from the asylum, we'll make a show about it and we'll let you know what's happening. If, if we write that script, oh, we're so good if yeah. we write a script. That'd be so uh, until then, feel free to get in touch. Uh, let us know if you fancy any of those. Uh, treatments that we made and you'd like to hear more about them you can find us on at strange ireland on twitter or on instagram where we are wide atlantic weird podcast ali what's happening with the scots nowadays where can people find your work um just yep you still uh, go to spotify um it's on google play amazon all the the normal streaming platforms uh, we've got an album coming out net profit um it's looking to be march 28th for the release um yeah well update you follow great we'll have a little scott song maybe to play us out Okay, a uh, very rough, uh, <laughs> a rough demo of a new Scott song. Very rough. <laughs> we should see other people even though we've had a good ride. Don't care what you've given me, you have taken my pride. This man is an island
chased a shorter skirt Looked up and found a different life Gorbachev took down that wall, Brussels, no sprouts. I'll gladly drink your chocolate stouts. Ireland's awesome Patty's Day. You drink the pain away, sweet and soft babes. New just beaches in Spain, pastified in Italy. All in Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. <laughs> 